This episode of Ragcast Outdoors is brought to you by PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Fish on! Hey, Radcast is on! Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. Here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Radcast Outdoors. I'm Patrick Edwards. And I'm David Merrill. Welcome back to the studio, everybody. It's good to have our buddy Blake back in here for, I think this is the third time. This is the third time. Hopefully third time's a charm, right? Third time (laughs) is a charm, man. We keep twisting his arm. (laughs) So the first time, we were at County 10. Yep. Last time, we just kind of got into the space just over here. Yeah. Next door. And now... We have our own studio. Yeah. We're in our own space. How everybody grows. You're just watching the full evolution (laughs) of Radcast Outdoors, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, so today, Blake, as you all know, does guiding, takes a lot of people out on hunts and has some just incredible stories. Like if you haven't heard the one that we did about Peanut. Absolutely. Was that a year ago, year and a half, two years ago? That'd be two years ago. Two years ago. 185 mule deer buck. In a blizzard. (laughs) In a blizzard up by Dubois. You'll have to go back and listen to that one. So we do have that one, but I'm going to let Blake take it from here and kind of introduce his guests that he's brought on for for this season yeah so this year we did a red desert elk hunt it was actually the first one we've done with this particular type of the tag and uh, sawyer was the young man that was selected for this hunt i'm gonna let them introduce themselves right now oh i'm sawyer i uh got a select to take that video uh last year go out hunting out west a lot of fun i'm shannon harris i'm sawyer's father and i'm stacy harris i'm his mom yeah so we had these guys planned for a is either four or five day elk hunt in Wyoming, based it out of South Pass on the Rock Shop in Hotel, I guess you could call it, cabins. That was just the plan as uh, look over as many elk as we could in a day. And I like to make these hunts more of an experience rather than about the score or anything like that or being successful. So I had those four days kind of blotched out in first part of October. And the, the goal was to just have as much fun as we could, um, see as many elk as we could, and hopefully get an opportunity to shoot a really good mature bull. And so for those of you listening, the Red Desert area of Wyoming is a very premium hunt area for not just elk, but pronghorn antelope. Absolutely. And And it's aptly named the Red Desert. You know, Blake will know this. I like to go chase elk in the timber, right? I like to get up closer to Yellowstone and play with the grizzly bears and find some good aspen pockets. And that's where I grew up hunting elk. It's how I know how to hunt elk. And driving to work a lot, actually, over there in Pinedale, I drive right by the Red Desert yep. all the time, back and forth. And you look out across the expanse, and I'm like, guys are bragging about this unit. And I look at it, and I go, there ain't much more than a jackalope and a sagebrush out there, and there's not one sagebrush for an elk to hide behind. Well, here a couple of years ago, a resident of Fremont County drew, and he invited me to come go along. And how many elk did you guys see out in that red desert country? I'd say definitely over 500. Over 500 elk out in the sagebrush. And it's, it's kind of a surreal feeling too, right? You probably saw not just a lot of elk, but you probably saw a lot of bulls. And I know that, you know, when I see a lot of those bull elk, you get excited. And it's easy to get excited over some that are a little bit smaller, but it sounds like you got a big one. It was just a pretty good size. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet. I said, God bless with a huge elk, but uh, it was so amazing because we got there. We were seeing these bulls that we thought were absolute monsters. And Blake's like, just 
just be patient and calm down and wait. And he goes, because there's bigger bulls out here. And I was like, I didn't think they could get bigger. <laughs> <laughs> Talk a little bit about that, Blake, because, I mean, it's it's hard for the layperson to look at an elk and kind of understand the size of a bull. Yeah, so, I mean, I've, I've got quite a few years of experience in the Red Desert, and you kind of get an idea of what you know, the average is and kind of what a guy realistically can be thinking of on harvesting out there. My opinion doesn't match a lot of other people, but going forward, I kind of keep that in the back of my mind. And I like to keep standards around that level, not just because of the score, but because it actually drags the hunt on a little bit longer. And, you know, if we would show up, we could have killed an elk on his trip 10 minutes into legal shooting light, or maybe even earlier. I mean, right (laughs) off the bat, we've got a group of, I don't know, 40, 50 cows, and there was one really nice bull in the group. And those guys were like, oh, my, that's a big bull. It's like, huh, we'll walk away from that one. Not that it wouldn't have been a great bull to harvest, but it's just the fact of it makes the trip go on that much farther. And I'll let these guys kind of tell their story of how many things they got to experience because of that. I mean, yes, we could have killed a six-point bull elk five minutes into opening day, but you wouldn't have experienced the whole realm of what was going on. Yeah, so why don't you guys take us through just a little bit of the story, maybe start with, you know, your first impressions of Wyoming coming out here and kind of what it was like, and then just tell us a little bit about the hunt. I'd love to hear it. My first impression was it was a lot flatter back home. You could see it a long ways. And we got there, and uh, Shiloh came and picked us up at the airport, and he's like, yeah, there's a lot of pronghorns around here and uh, i was like really i'd love to see one he goes well you'll probably see when we get right out of the airport the first 30 seconds sure enough there was like five of them standing inside the road and they're everywhere i was like holy cow and so when we were getting out there like he said we were hunting and i mean we were in the truck and i was like i just see an elk you know i see people hunting on tv and they talk about how tough it is and all this to see one i was like i just see one never seen one in person and we weren't riding down the road five minutes because yeah there's a bull with a bunch of cows he's like i think it's monstrous and he laughed and he's like Nah, nah, that, that's not very big. Just wait. And then we got to our other spot where we set up at, and it was just like, there's a bull, there's a bull, there's two fighting down here. There's one bedded up right there. I mean, they're everywhere. So what did you think about the terrain itself? Like, you know, obviously you can see forever, but did you look at that and think, yeah, there, there's probably elk in there, or did you look at it and think, man, there's no way there's elk out there? Yeah, I never didn't think they'd be out there. You know, I was kind of like, what do they have to eat? What do they, where do they go to? You know, like, Sagebrush seems four foot tall, and they lay down to disappear. It's I, I was not expecting to be out there at all. It, it caught me off guard. Yeah, and from my experience being out there, even the spots I find elk, knowing that there's elk out in the desert, the spots I find them, it seems like it's completely opposite. Like, you'll go to some parts of the desert where you got big cuts of canyon and deep sagebrush and feed, and you won't find an elk. And then you go out into this big, flat, wide-open stuff with grease wood and no grass, and there's thousands of them. You're like, what are you doing? doing (laughs) like what is the logic behind where they live out there it's just unique and it's a spot that i mean it kind of it's challenging for me even elk hunting one of the biggest hardest things of it is finding the elk and out there you can find elk all day long but still being able to get close and kill one is a completely different story well tell us about that first day what was it like the initial from sun up and you see see these elk right off the bat what was it like from there? Just kind of t- take us through that. We saw the first ones, and, you know, I was just kind of starstruck because i never seen that before. I thought it was pretty sweet. Then we set up at our first glassing spot, and we saw a really good one. And I was like, man, that's a good one. He's just like, oh, I'll just wait. And I was like, I'm trusting this dude because that's a big old elk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, man. This is crazy. 
And then we got going, and it was like every time we turned around, another bull. I mean, they were everywhere, and we just kept seeing them. And we got close, we had close to something. We got up on a big group, and it was like 200 of them just out there just eating and stuff. And I was just like, this is crazy. And I'll never forget, we parked the truck at one spot where I glass, and we were looking everywhere. We saw some, and all of a sudden, turned around, one stood up like 200 yards, just bedded up. Couldn't see him in the stage, but he just stood up, and boom, there he was. And they just came out of nowhere. It was crazy what's interesting to me those elk out there you know elk in the timber they're really good about using that heavy timber as as cover right they'll, they'll be out in open ridges or sages feeding but they get any pressure and boom they just hop right in the cover these elk in that red desert they just use the terrain i mean they just run up over a draw and into a draw and you you'd think you could catch up and, and hop over there and find them and they're already gone they, they are masters of just sneaking through that terrain yeah. One of these spots that we went to on opening or on that first day, there's a little bit of a hump out there and it looks over a huge flat, probably eight miles wide. And it's perfectly flat, little tiny sagebrush. And you can get up on this little hump in glass and you can count, you know, groups of 20, groups of 100, groups of 150, groups of 50. And they're all kind of scattered in these different little groups. But as soon as you try to make a move on one, when that first group sees you, they just bolt kind of towards the middle of where the other elk are at and they all just get in this huge group and that happened on that first day we kind of made a move circled around with the pickup and kind of was getting closer and they just kind of balled up into a group that made you know four or five hundred deep and then they <laughs> there's just no <laughs> way to get close to them and then that's when that one freaky bull kind of come right to us and so you're we got to practice i emptied the gun so there's no bullets in the gun racked it took the safety off and said practice shooting that bull and that's one of the things I like to do with a lot of hunters, whether they have a lot of experience or not, is just going through the motions and actually pulling the trigger like you're going to harvest that animal without having the repercussions of actually doing it. And Sawyer told me that the next day that that actually helped him a lot in making his shot when he actually did kill his bull was you already kind of have, you know, when especially with someone that's never hunted elk before or seen one to actually put the crosshairs on the shoulder, go through your breathing and squeeze the trigger and not have the pressure on you. So when the pressure is on you to actually make the mm -hmm. shot, you've, you've kind of actually already have experience when you've never killed one before. Yeah, especially when you see a big bull elk. I mean, that gets your adrenaline going real quick. I mean, Sawyer, can you talk about that a little bit? Did you have some adrenaline doing some of those dry fire exercises with that elk? Yeah, it, my heart was still pumping. I mean, it was like looking through one, looking at one through a scope. It's just, it doesn't feel real almost for the first time. And I'm sitting there looking at it, even just dry fire, and it just felt crazy. I know we've all been there. Even even when you're young and you're going after, you know, a doe antelope or a doe and deer, you know, it's like, oh man, it gets you kind of oh, yeah. gets you kind of fired up. But with a big bull elk, it's like a hundred times that, right? It just really gets you amped up. Definitely gets your heart pumping. Yeah. So I mean, day one was a good breaking day as far as seeing a ton of elk and getting some real life experience going on some stalks. Uh, kind of judging them and going through what I know about elk. And then day two was more serious as far as let's go find a good six point and get him killed, no matter if it's first thing in the morning or late at night. So I guess I'll let you guys kind of go through day two. Yeah, day two, I had a, I had a good feeling we woke up. You know, life was like it there. We didn't see a lot, of, you know, what they're doing. So we went out day two, first thing in the morning. We got on a good one, and he hung up at like 750 yards with some cows and just didn't work out. And then... So they go, like, all right, go on the next one. We get on to the next one. We saw it about a mile away. And so we made a move. We got on this, this big ridge, came down this hill. 
And we snuck around the side, and he was, like, right off the drop-off. And so, like, where we were at, we couldn't see him. But the rest of the crew was on top of the mountain, a mile away. They could see him. So we're creeping up and creeping up. We can't see him. And we're, like, right there. We know he's right over the hill. And we get there, and he's 60 yards from us. And so, like, we're crawling up. We get the safety off. We're getting ready to get on the gun to shoot him. And they all, one cow takes off. And they all follow. And then, like, he just, all the cows would turn broadside. He would not turn broadside. He had butt to us the entire time. They got out to about 700 yards. And I was like, well, there goes that one. And then Blake turned and looked at me and goes, that's all right. He wasn't as big as I thought he was. But uh, he was like, you know, God's plan, whatever happens. He goes, that wouldn't work out. It's because better one's better. It's coming. Those roads are rough. Now, I, mean, I don't even call them roads. I don't know. Like dirt tracks. I mean, that, uh, that's terrible. And we were bouncing around all day long. And I, oddly enough, they put me to sleep. And I was out cold. And all of a sudden, we stopped. And usually, we stopped us up. And I was just so tired. And I was like, well, if it's a good one, they'll tell me. And then Blake was like, hey, get up. It's a good one. I was like, all right, I'm up. And so... Uh, <laughs> Look, he was a bunch of cows sitting on the hillside. And he used to stand there perfectly in the skyline, and you could see his horns just sticking out the skyline. I was like, yep, that's a big one. And so we got out, and I grabbed a piece of gun. So I was like, I'm chewing a piece of gun. Do something to think about it. I don't think about, you know, shooting or nothing. I was going to chew on this piece of gun until we get up on him. And so we, me and Blake got out pretty quick. We were up for pretty quick. Turned around, mom and dad were not so quick. They <laughs> were a little ways behind. And I was like, oh, boy. But we got up there, and it's crazy how fast it is. We're sprinting. You know, it's about 500 yards where we sprinted to. The elk are just sitting there grazing. They're already 350 yards away, just like that. And so we got up there, and then it was like, I mean, it was probably like 30 seconds. It felt like five hours. The bull was standing behind his cows, heard them. And I had to wait for the cows to get out of the way and turn broadside. It felt like forever. And then finally, he turned, and Blake, the sunlight hit right on his back in the perfect spot. And Blake said, oh, right top of that sunlight, it's right at the top of the shoulder. And so then put safety off and squeeze. And I just kept telling myself, just squeeze super slow and stay on the gun. Don't pick your head up. Don't move. You know what's going to hit him or not. And so I just squeeze real slow. And that gun, I mean, it's super nice trigger. It just goes off. And all the time, I was like, oh, I just wonder if I hit him. I said, you hammered him. I was like, oh, yeah, we got it. And he just starts tipping and wobbling. Yeah, I mean, it would even have a lot of my adrenaline going. For one, we had to sprint up to this little skyline where these elk just backed off the backside. And so obviously it's breathing heavy, carrying some stuff. And I mean, just how everything played out. I mentioned this a lot of times right after it happened is everything happens for a reason. And, you know, an hour later, we were all kind of down and out as far as we just lost a great opportunity on a bull. And then all of a sudden we've got a brand new opportunity, you know, an hour later on a bull that's a lot bigger. So like I said, everything just happens for a reason. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. Um, you know, we were sitting there, we had, we had just lost that, that was that didn't get a chance to shoot that one bull. And we we're walking out and I told Cyrus to go, just keep praying. And I said, you know, I said, God's going to bless you with a great bull. And, uh, you know, we started riding and I looked, sorry, was sleeping. And, uh, next thing I know, I had my eyes closed and, uh, I think Blake may have been the only one awake for a while there. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely something about bouncing in the back of a trick truck on, on desert roads, staring at a endless rolling sagebrush country, especially when you get up pre-dawn and, you know, it, it's, you know, that, that early afternoon nap just hits you. And uh, all of a sudden uh, when somebody hits the brakes and says, elk, <laughs> it's, it's amazing how quick you wake up and, and get refreshed. <laughs> 
so quick and get refreshed, but I couldn't keep up with Sawyer and Blake running up that mountain. <laughs> well, you got to remember that red desert, even though it looks like it's, you know, bottom ground land country, you're, you're pushing 9,000 feet. It's, it's really high yeah, elevation. And, and it was uphill. It's, it's, it's not a little hill. <laughs> There's a lot of mountains around it. But, um, it was it was just so awesome just being there. I've never seen such open country in my life. I mean, as far as you can see, it's just open. It's totally different from back here in Virginia where we live at. And, um, you know, we're used to seeing a white tail and you see an elk that big. And, uh, and that open country is just, it's just absolutely amazing. It's just, it's just awesome. Elevation, obviously, was much different than what you're used to. So I'm sure that factored into the running aspect because you come from sea level and you come up here and you try to run. It's it's a lot more difficult than you're expecting. But also, you know, where you're at, you don't have those big wide open spaces, do you? No. no. We're, we're used to shoot maybe 100 yards. <laughs> and we both hunt all the time, so it usually it's 30 and in. And so, uh, we actually, we went out there, we were just shooting the rifle in for the first time when they had, they said the targets were out there, you know, 300, 600 yards. I was like, there's no way we'll ever hit those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And actually all three of them got to get behind the, the gun the day before the hunt and do a little bit of target practicing. So they all got to experience some long range shooting. So mom and dad, what was that like, you know, getting to come out and watch Sawyer harvest his, his bull elk? I mean, when, when he actually made the harvest, what did you think? I was just flabbergasted. It was it's such an answer to prayer because it's something a dream for him. When we first got there, he was like, "I feel like I'm living in a dream, and I'm going to wake up, but I'm not waking up." And um, and so that really touched my heart just for what he's been through to be able to have the opportunity for people for God to have laid it on their hearts for them to give to something like this just meant the world to us. Like it, it really really touched our hearts, and then to to come out there and experience. As a kid, my dream was always to move to Montana or Wyoming and live there because I always thought it was beautiful in the pictures and wide open spaces. And she said just to go, to be able to have the opportunity to visit Wyoming was amazing. It's more beautiful than I ever could have imagined. And then just to do that together, the three of us, and then to have the opportunity to go out and shoot a bull elk was just, it's hard to put into words. To experience it all from the the second day where he we went out at first and he had the opportunity like to try to sneak up on one. I don't know all the terminology, but to, to sneak up on one and to experience that was really neat. And then for the bull out to be too far away, and then the second time to have to stalk it so far, we walked so far and up and down, and um, and that was amazing. And then when he wouldn't didn't have the opportunity to shoot that one, I just knew I told him I was like, it's all right, you know. It just means God's got something better for you. We just have to be patient. It's all in God's timing. To see him, to be able to shoot that, to experience that all together and experience that with Blake was just absolutely amazing to see the excitement and the adrenaline and to see Blake appreciate it just as much as we did really touched our hearts for his excitement and his joy to experience that with us and experience that with Sawyer and how he invested in Sawyer's life while we were up there was just really just such a blessing. I mean, it's something that we will never forget and I will treasure it forever in my heart. And I think I took a million pictures while we were there. They kept laughing and making fun of me, but everything I'm like, it's just so beautiful. I don't want to forget a thing. I want to be able to look back at all this and remember all of it, every second of it. I would say it's probably one of the most humbling experiences that uh, we've ever had just coming out there, just the way that God orchestrated everything. And, um, 
when Sawyer pulled the trigger, I, I just I couldn't help it. I just started crying. We were just so thankful and blessed. And Stacy said that it's always been Sawyer's dream to be able to go on an elk hunt. He's faced a lot of challenges in the last couple of years. And for the foundation and, and for Blake and Sallow and, and putting all this together, it's, uh, I mean, they're friends that we'll have for the rest of our life. And uh, the memories are, are just memories we'll always have. You know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, shooting the elk. It was, it was the whole experience being able to come out, out to Wyoming and just being there with Sawyer. You know, Sawyer and I hunt together a lot. We, we love to bow hunt and stuff like that. But this is something I never thought we'd be able to experience and to be able to come out to Wyoming to see how beautiful it is there, to have this experience. Uh, it, it was just such a blessing. And I, I, w- I don't even know how to begin to even thank uh, everyone who put this together. And, um, and and Blake's one of the most amazing men I've ever met in my life. And um, we're, we're just blessed to be able to know him. I think the whole, the whole journey, the whole trip, every second of it, not just the hunt and seeing him be able to shoot such an amazing elk and talking after it and all that, not just that part. But every second since we got up in the morning till we went to bed at night, spending time with Blake and Shiloh and everybody else that was there, I think every second of it is what made the trip so amazing. You guys have touched on it. In our society, everybody looks at this trophy hunting, trophy photos in a negative connotation, negative light. Well, once the meat's all gone, which high mountain seasoning and meat is uh, number one at our place, right? We eat, we eat elk. That's what my kids are raised on. But once the meat's gone kind of the trophy but even you look a generation down the road once that trophy's gone i mean it might be in a museum it might be dog chews it doesn't matter what's left is that trophy photo and the people and the memory of that trip and how much fun they had together in the camaraderie so you know that trophy photo that a lot of people shame on social media of oh you're just a whatever it's it's more than that it's the whole essence of why we do this is that camaraderie that bonding that that relationship and we want to memorialize that forever you you want to capture that moment and take it home with you so you never forget definitely you made a good comment about blake he's a good guy and and he does this because he truly loves people and he loves sharing what his passion is which is hunting with other people and so i don't know blake if you can kind of talk about that on on your end of this, because you have the pressure of delivering, right? You want to make sure that they have a good experience, that they harvest what they came to Wyoming to harvest. But can you talk a little bit about this experience with this family? Oh, absolutely. I mean, not just these guys, but all the kids that I've done in the past, and I also do disabled veterans. But uh, one of the questions I get asked so many times, mainly by guys kind of in the hunting community is, why don't you do this for a living? Why don't you work for an outfitter or start your own guiding business and, you know, make a living at hunting, doing the same thing you're doing now, but making money so you can provide. It's like (laughs) when you put money into this game, it just completely changes it. And the biggest things for me is the best way I can describe this is uh, a chapter in the Bible, Mark chapter two, a group of friends carries a man on a mat to get to Jesus to heal this man because he's paralyzed. And there's a crowd surrounding Jesus so they can't get to him. So they go up onto the roof, they dig a hole, and they drop this man right in front of Jesus. Jesus, seeing their faith, the faith of the friends, he told the man, your sins are forgiven, stand up and walk. Jesus didn't heal the paralyzed man because of what he did or the good things he's done or seeing the faith even of that man. He healed the man based on 
the faith of the guys that dropped him down the hole. And, you know, you have that saying of you're a average of your five closest friends. And uh, I, I, not just your friends, I think it's the, the five people you spend the most time with. Because I have a lot of friends all over the all over the world that I don't get to see very often. But you're an average of the five closest people you surround yourself with. And who you surround yourself with matters, obviously, because you need to have those type of people that you can count on that would drop you down that hole. Mm-hmm. But at the same point of that, you also have to be that friend. You have to be the friend that will carry your friend on the map that's paralyzed and drop him through the hole. And uh, like I said, that's the best way I can describe these hunts. Um, they're not comfortable at any at any point. But, you know, I feel like comfort is killing our callings. If you go towards comfort, it's killing our cro- our callings of what we're called to do through Christ. And doing these hunts, yes, they take a lot of time. They take a lot of money. But at the same time, these hunts are the ones that I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And I think if I went a different route and was doing it for the money aspect of things, it just wouldn't feel the same. Yeah. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. And it, it comes from your heart, right? You've, you've got a heart for this and you've got a heart for the people that you take out. And it comes through every time I talk to you about it because absolutely you're passionate about that. And, and no, I agree. I think that's a great story to kind of, you know, use as a parallel with, with what you're doing, because I mean, you're, you're making a sacrifice, right? You're, you're taking time. Uh, you're, you're a hardworking man. I know that, um, you spend a lot of time farming and ranching and, and you, you know, you put your blood, sweat and tears into that, but you also put a ton of work into this and, and you don't ask for anything. You know, you just want these people to have that wonderful experience and experience what, quite frankly, the three of us get to kind of take for granted. You know, we, we live in one of the most incredible places on the planet. That's Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, Wyoming's great. And it's, it's something though that, I mean, I even catch myself at times taking it for granted, but the experience that you have when you, you guys were talking about it a little bit ago, when you sit down and you have a meal and you talk, you know, and, and you talk about the day's hunt and you share about your family, you share with each other. That's a, that's a beautiful thing. And that's part of what makes these trips so, so special. Absolutely. Um, would you guys mind sharing kind of the past few years of what led you up to this point? Sure. Sure. I'd be glad to. Um, so first of all, I want to say thank you, Blake, for, um, for having such a servant's heart, because I, I will tell you, you know, Jesus, you know, when he came, he said, I didn't to be served, but to serve others. And you emulate Jesus and everything you do, Blake. And first of all, we'd like to say thank you for that. But yeah, coming up to this point and back in 2020, 2020, life seemed pretty normal for us. Sorry, I was playing baseball on a regular basis. And uh, we noticed during spring gobbler season that uh, he was having trouble hearing the, the gobbler's gobble. And we thought he had an ear infection. So we took him to the doctor and um, they gave him some medicine and uh, it didn't clear up. And then we ended up going back to the doctor and they sent us to an ENT. And the ENT said that uh, we need to go probably have an MRI done because he had lost some hearing. And they couldn't find figure out why. And uh, so Stacy took him that day to to have his MRI. By the time she actually pulled him to the driveway, which is not very far from where sorry had his MRIs, they had actually called us to tell us that um, they had found multiple tumors 
we, through the process of uh, running tests, he, we found that he has a rare disease called neurofibromatosis type 2, NF2. We found that, that he had a, a one brain tumor about the size of your fist, and it was wrapped around his left vestibular artery, and then he had another one about the same size in his spine. Those were the two major ones they were looking at, and then he had tumors on both cochlear nerves, which is prevalent in NF2. If they removed those tumors, you would go completely deaf. And so they ended up putting him on a chemo regimen every two weeks. And he's been on chemo for the last two years. But before they could do that, they had to go in and do the surgery because we talked with the first surgeon. He said it was basically a 50-50 chance that he would, you know, that if he even had the surgery, if they could do anything or not. You know, we were praying, and I have a friend of mine who's a doctor, and he told me to, to call Duke, uh, which is in North Carolina, um, a few hours from us. And he said, just keep calling till you get somebody. And so Stacy was calling. The head of neurosurgery at Duke called us back and said he had reviewed Sawyer's case and he said they believe that they can help us. He said, but there was a surgeon there that was better than him. He was very humble, very honest. He's one of the best surgeons in the entire country. And he said that he believed he could do surgery. And he removed the, the tumor from his brain. Very successful. And then um, two months later, they removed the, six weeks later, excuse me, they removed the tumor from Sawyer's spine. They removed that tumor. They had to cut some of the, the nerve fibers. They monitored the nerve the whole time and everything showed it well. But uh, after the, the everything wore off, they come to find out that um, they cut the nerve fibers and it actually uh, damaged the nerve motor that actually works your hand. So he lost use of his left hand where he couldn't really move with any of his fingers on his left hand. So after that surgery, he ended up having a tendon transfer where he could move his thumb a little bit now. Two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago, they went in, they did another surgery uh, to to be able to try to pull his fingers down where he can get flexed in that again. And so uh, he also had knee surgery and, uh, and during that time to uh, to release a, uh, a, a compressed nerve that was compressed in his knee. Um, so he's, he's had he's had a lot of surgeries. He's been through a lot, but he's done everything with grace. So, you know, we, one of the greatest blessings, you know, we've had so many people praying for us that uh, really invested in their lives. The greatest blessing has been his attitude. Uh, he's never once complained, never once questioned, why me, why God? You know, he went into surgery at six foot one, 187 pounds, throwing a baseball 84 miles an hour. And, you know, after the first rounds of chemo and everything, he got down to about 130. You know, now the special glove that he uses, he's able to lift weights again. But we was, found out we were going to Wyoming. He was getting on a trip, doing five miles a day. Uh, you know, he worked hard to get to that place. That's why he beat me up the mountain so bad. <laughs> uh, but he, he worked really hard to get back to that place. It's been a journey uh, for all of us and our whole family. We have an older son and a younger son. So it's, 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 been, it's been difficult in a lot of ways, but it's been also a, a growth experience for us. We've learned a lot through the process. You know, we've seen God's hand that worked through this whole process. Uh, the doctors that we've been able to have, the people surrounding us. Sorry, has a great group of friends and people that really love him. And so we, we've been blessed that way. So I got to ask, why elk hunting and why Wyoming? Well, that's a really easy question. <laughs> so ever since I was a little kid, like I was like four years old, we watch hunting shows all the time. And I remember I was watching, I was like, that's a weird looking deer. That don't make any sense. It's a monster deer. And then dad's like, ah, it's not a deer, that's an elk. And I was like, all right, well, I'm going to kill that. And I was like four years old. So ever since I've been a little kid, you know, I've always loved elk. And, you know, they told me they could take me elk hunting. And I was like, all right, that's awesome. Wyoming. I was like, hey, I'll go anywhere you want. And so they, we got out there to Wyoming and 
There's nothing better. I've never been to a state better than Wyoming. Yeah, so we, we ended up in Wyoming. We got in touch with Shallow Turner. Shallow um, runs Holy Pursuit Dream Foundation, and uh, Shallow and Blake are, they know each other, and uh, Shallow put us with Blake, and um, that's how we ended up in Wyoming. And I couldn't, we couldn't have picked, handpicked a better place in the world. Uh, but both of those men are just such godly men, and they just made everything just, we just felt like we we're at home. Uh, I couldn't, we couldn't have picked a better place. So, as far as the journey goes, because I know that. I'm sure there's there's more to come, right? You're still on this journey of getting recovered and, and going through all this. What have what has the doctors said about it? You know, you know, how are you doing? So here about what two weeks ago, they uh, took me off the advanced treatments, which are my infusions. They're going to see how long I can last before you know the tumors start growing again. And so as of right now, I'm off that, and I shouldn't have surgery here for a while. I should be home free for at least few years and so it should be pretty pretty good that's great so with, with, with nf2 there's no real cure so sawyer's body does not produce enough merlin so his body continues to produce tumors the tumors will grow on his um, central nervous system and his brain so the abastin we take yeah it's 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 not fda approved for uh, nf2 it's a, it's a he's on a clinical trial is what he's on and they're still trying to develop medication. So he has every three months he has to go have MRIs and they check to see if the tumors are growing. If the tumors grow and they they're affecting anything in his body, then they have to go in to remove them. But the, you know the, the process with you have to remove tumors, they usually leave a deficit somewhere else. So you you take one thing away, but you probably would lose something else. So it's kind of a catch twenty two. And so his body, that's something he'll have to continue to fight until they can find some medicine or something that, that would help with what he's got. But right now, there's just no real treatment. Everything's still experimental. Um, so he has probably 20-something tumors, small tumors on his spine. Um, he has two, one on each cochlear nerve. And uh, so they watch those every every three months that we, we go back to do every three months for MRIs and scans. So as far as you guys, you talked about your faith and in, in going through this. So for for mom and dad, how has that journey been for you two? Because I, I mean, I'm, I'm a dad, I have four kids and David's got kids. And so we're, we're just curious, you know, how did you walk through that with your faith? I'm very laid back kind of person. And so um, we first found out, of course, I was upset, but um, like, all right, what are we going to do? Let's make a plan. What are we going to do? We're going to, I'm going to call the doctor, Dr. Sam, my friends, if you call the doctor at Duke every 15 minutes until they answer you. So I did. And so we talked to the head pediatric neurosurgeon there who was just phenomenal. Um, and he put us through to Dr. Zamarodi, who agreed to take our case and then he handpicked. Uh, saw your spine surgeon, Dr. Goodwin. I feel for them, I am. I feel blessed to have met them and to have those relationships. They're like family to us now, and we can joke and all laugh together, and so we just had good camaraderie there. But I felt very, I was okay at the beginning. When we had, I just wanted to get those tumors out and have that brain surgery, and we did that. It was like, all right, next, let's get that other tumor out. And I just kept asking, when are we going to do it? When are we going to do it? Because they didn't exactly give us a date at first until the week before surgery. We were seeing Dr. Goodwin, and he's like, all right, surgery's uh, November 9th, I think it was. And I was like, oh, okay. So um, I felt really good there. We had prayed, and I knew that, that through it all that God was going to take care of us. If it was 
if God gave us sire for 15 years, then, you know, he, he belongs to God. He doesn't belong to us. If we were supposed to have him for 15 years, I would be grateful for those 15 years. And being that this is something he was born with, I was very thankful to have lived in ignorance for 15 years and not knowing because I felt like if we had known he had this, would we have let him play football? Would we have let him play baseball, basketball? Would we let him, you know, shoot and hunt and ride four-wheelers and dirt bikes and do all the things that kids should do to be outside playing? And I probably would have been a nervous wreck. And so I was thankful that I didn't know about it so that he could have the childhood that he had. And then I think once he had the spine surgery and they actually cut a couple of those nerve fibers and he lost use of his hand, I think that's when it kind of bothered me some because to see him go into surgery, basically perfectly healthy. I mean, fully functioning, you can do everything you want to do to come out and not have use of your hand. That, I think, is when it started weighing on my heart. And so, and it became harder for me. And I still knew that God, God was with us and God had a plan and we can't see his plan. We don't know what the future is, but I know that he was going to use this for his glory somehow. Um, and he was going to work it all out. We just had to continue to, I guess, you know, it's putting your feet to your faith. You know, you hear about it and you got to have faith in God and all this. But when it comes to trials that you have to walk through, that's really when you're, you know, you're going through the fire and you really have to rely on God and rely on others. And I know that when I would drive to work every day, I used to listen to uh, the radio, to Christian radio. And then God would put songs on the radio that I needed to hear like in the eye of a storm, he's in control and just different songs like that. And then I would wake up with songs in my head that would, that God had placed in my head that would speak to me, that would help me through the day. And then it got to a point where like, it wasn't the music I needed to, my soul just craved to hear God's word. And so I would just listen to the Bible um, because nothing else could really touch me and, and fill me and bring me comfort except for God's word. Several months, that's all I listened to on my way to work and then on my way home. And as he got better and they talked about the tendon transfer um, and the options and everything, like I said, people were praying for us. And and like, I guess you could feel those prayers. And I knew still throughout that God was going to take care of us. Even when it was, I felt it was really, really hard and really just felt like we were just trying to keep our heads above water and not drown through it. I still knew like that. God was going to handle it all, and we just had to totally trust Him. And over time, I just started feeling better and not so destitute, I guess. Isn't the right word, but um, I guess I felt more joy again, knowing that that we'd been through so much. He'd been through so much, and he was he was getting better. He was doing better. He was healing, and he's very resilient and was learning to use even without having his left hand all the time. He was learning to hunt, to shoot his bow again, just to do simple things. They were like, like, you know, here's a gold star where I felt like we were, we were doing so good just to see him step by step by step, um, heal and to get better. And to now, like he can, it seems like he can do just about anything, just the resilience that he has spurs me on. And I just think through it all, like, I don't know if I would change anything because I know that God has a purpose and a plan for everything. And I feel that through this, like my spiritual walk, has grown by leaps and bounds. And before this had happened, like like I read my Bible and I prayed and everything, and I knew I had a relationship with God, but I just feel it's so much stronger now. And like God can use this, can use us to help other people and to reach other people and to maybe be a blessing to other people. 
So I know like a few years before Sawyer's surgery, before all of this happened, the boys had started this company called Let It Fly, where they wanted to take children or uh, handicapped people or older people who had never been able to hunt or fish to take them hunting and fishing for the first time, to shoot their first deer, catch their first fish. And they did. And they've taken countless, numerous people hunting and fishing. And just to be on the other end of that now, the receiving end, has been so humbling. Such an amazing thing to see it from the other person's point of view. It's just, it's been really neat. And so, again, through it all, like, I know that God's just, he's carried us through and that he's going to use this somehow. I guess from my side of things, I've been very blessed. I pastored at the same church for 22 years. So I was there when we actually dedicated, obviously I was there when we dedicated Sawyer. When he was a baby, we were there and I had the opportunity to lead Sawyer to Christ, baptize him. And um, so I've watched his faith, you know, grow. And um, when we got to the point where he, where we knew he was sick, I guess that was probably one of the hardest things that I've went through. I've always felt like I've had a strong faith for, for quite a while. It was very humbling for me because I didn't, I, I learned how much more I needed God than I thought I did. It's one of those things, you're, you're pastor in a church, and you, you, you feel like you've got everything together. Then all of a sudden you realize, you know what, you don't have everything together, and, and you're reminded of how much you need God. So this whole experience for me has been a, a, a great experience of strengthening my faith. And seeing Sarge's faith strengthen, uh, seeing how God's worked in his life as well. It was very hard for me at first because uh, Sarge and I, we work out together, you know, six days a week. Uh, we get up in the mornings a lot of times before school, and he would go hit baseball, and he loved playing baseball, and I, I, I coached him for years, and uh, we hunt together, fish together all the time, and so then all of a sudden, it was like our whole world just kind of stopped, but through that process, God really um, checked my heart, my priorities, and what really matters in life. You know, through that, I, you know, I've stayed in the Word, obviously, and I prayed a lot, but, but God just revealed itself to me in so many different ways, and I've learned to have more empathy for people more compassion for people. You know, Sawyer's taught me a lot through his attitude. Uh, he, he never, like I said, he never blamed God. He was never upset with God. And, and I, I learned really a lot from him through this process. And uh, it's really strengthened my faith a lot through this whole process. And and, and like Stacey said, I, I think when we first started the journey, it was like, you know, God, you're the one who gave Sawyer to us. He belongs to you. You know, he got to a point where he couldn't use his hand. That was probably one of my lowest, my lowest points, at least, that I felt. I remember one of the guys that I'm really good friends with my church. He's one of the, he's the CFO of Feet in America. He came to my office one day and we just, we just really laid the floor and just cried and prayed and cried and prayed. And, you know, I did, there were several scriptures that just, just, constantly came back to my mind and ever since this happened we as a family would quote Psalm ninety one and I, I, I read and quote that every day, Psalm ninety one and I pray that prayer over Sawyer and you know, God gave me several scriptures just that, that, that I go to and, and that that's really been huge for me. Like Stacy said, just being in, in the word of God and the times when you feel like that you're under attack or you feel like you're struggling, that God's word just gives us so much strength. That's what's been so important in our life. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I know that, you know, trials and tribulations come for us all and doesn't matter who you are you know, what path in life that you lead, it, it comes from everybody and it comes in different forms, you know, um, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of people about that and I, I know some people who'd be listening to this podcast that, that I know they have situations they are going to be nodding through everything that you just said. I think it's really neat that, you know, God puts people in our lives at the right time. I'm sure that Blake being in your life at that time was the right time and that elk hunt was at the right time. And, and like Blake and I were talking about it, that bull was meant to be. It wasn't the one before 
that took off and you saw his butt the whole time, you know, that one wasn't yours. You know, that God didn't have that one for you, but he did have this other one. And uh, Blake sent me some pictures and I was actually almost brought to tears by some of the pictures that he sent me from your hunt, just because seeing, seeing you two hug, you know, I was just like, wow, you know, that's, that's really what this is about, right? The, the, the sharing in that moment together and just the beauty of God's creation and, and what all you were able to experience. It's overwhelming. And, you know, you said as a dad, you know, you started, you started to have tears, you know, after you shot that bull. I get that, you know, like watching my kids catch a big fish, you know, that, that's my thing. If you couldn't tell with the fishing stuff, but, um, <laughs> you know, watching them catch those fish it gets to you and it, and it has an impact. And yeah, that picture really got to me when I saw that Blake. So thanks for sending that. Yeah. That's probably my favorite hunting picture I've ever seen in my life. And I didn't take it. And I've taken a lot of incredible pictures in my life, but that one will probably be always be special to me. But, uh, you know, hearing both Shannon and Stacy's testimony going through that reminded me of a story from Billy Moles. Do you know, Billy, David, he's a Alaskan guide for sheep. Um, caribou grizzly bears Um, he's got a really successful youtube channel but he's also a christian man that likes to share his walk and faith and uh, he was telling this story he said it's about 10 12 years ago he was guiding a spaniard for a doll sheep hunt and the spaniard laid his pack down and he's kind of going through everything he had in his pack for this sheep hunt and he pulls out this stool and it's like 12 inches tall and it weighs about four pounds and Billy's like, you don't need that. <laughs> That's too heavy. You don't need that. And he's like, well, I, fi- I, I don't want to sit somewhere and get my butt wet. He's like, we're not going to be sitting a whole lot. And then he pulls out an umbrella. And then he pulls out a second one that's just like the first one. And he said, and he said, I figured you didn't have an umbrella. So I brought two of them. And just in case our rain gear gets tired, so we have a way to dry off. And he's like, well, you'd be correct in assuming I didn't have an umbrella. And you don't need that. And this guy carried those things because he brought them. And he thought he needed them, but he didn't have the trust and the faith to put into Billy, his guide, and taking those things out of his pack. And uh, it was like a 35, 40-mile round trip, you know, through the Brooks Range of Alaska, which is gnarly country. And this guy carried that stool, and he carried two umbrellas, and he got back, and he's like, well, you were right. I didn't need to bring that. And Billy then translates that story into his walk of faith and saying, Everything that's in our pack, things like pride, ego, envy, anxiety, fear, insecurity, all of those things, he felt like he lived his first part of his life with all of those things in his pack. And it's the devil that puts those things in our pack and keeps those things in our pack. And it weighs us down when we're in the valleys trying to get to the top. And it prevents us because we're thinking solely about ourselves and pain and fear and things that we're in. And we have to remove those things from our pack to be able to summit mountains. He goes on to say that he talks about when Jesus says, "Put all you've, cast all of your fears and anxieties on me. And Jesus says, I will give you, or put your yoke upon me, and I will give you a new yoke. And Jesus is basically saying, throw your pack away. Leave everything in it. Don't take things out of it. Just throw it away. I will give you a new pack. And he's basically saying, trust the guide. And that goes outside of hunting. You know, trust Jesus with everything you do and remove all of those things out of your pack. Uh, Jesus wants us to live our life like it's in the final stock mode as far as closing that last hundred distance on a bull elk. So you dump your pack, 
you dump your heavy stuff. You might even take your shoes off and just be in your socks. And that final stock mode, the only thing that's on your mind is the end goal, your accomplishment of getting those 100 yards closer to that bull and making the shot. That's the only thing. You blank out the things of the world. And that's how we're supposed to live our life as far as ignore the worldly things going on around us. Just put our faith and our trust in Jesus and trust the guy. I like that. Hadn't quite thought of it in that way, you know, talking about the pack and the things that you're weighed down on. But now that you mentioned that, I think of Pilgrim's Progress, which, you know, he has this load on his back and the only one who could remove it was, was God. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was talking to somebody today actually about, you know, hunting and basketball and all those things. It's like, you know, why do you, why do you go do those things? Well, I feel very blessed that I can do them. And, you know, and for me, it's a way of, of connecting, right? You know, you talk about David and I went on that late season Cal Elk hunt and that was, that was a way to connect. And, and, uh, that storm was just crazy that we were hunting in and, you know, harvesting that, that elk was just something really special. And I mean, you can, you can see the parallels to this, this story with Sawyer, you know, it was like, you know, we had the ability to go, we went, we, you know, it was definitely a God thing. I feel like for me getting my elk because someone needed to meet more than I did. Right. And so that was important to me and that, and it was special. We got it done. It was a big cow elk, you know, and it provided. So I think it's great. And I'm really glad you guys have shared about this because I think it's something we just don't talk about enough. It's important to remember that Satan's greatest tool is to make everyone believe he doesn't exist. And therefore, your actions have no repercussions. And that's that's not something we, we share too often on the podcast too hard. I mean, Patrick and I are, we raise our, our kids the way we believe they should be raised and we live a certain way and i mean it, i think it transcends across every of the other 102 episodes that are out there now that patrick and i are a little different and i mean i picked up on that when patrick and i first started talking about starting this right and i knew i wanted to share events like this and people's life stories with somebody that i admired and surrounding yourself with i don't want to be the smartest person in the room i don't want to be the most interesting person in the room I want to surround myself with five other smart, interesting people. And Sawyer, one thing about that I can tell with you and your family, your family has all grown closer to God and grown, grown closer to each other, and they're pulling together to pull through this. Families that don't have Christ-centered lives, they crumble, they fall apart, and that's the adversary wants that. So keep it up. Yeah, it's, again, I'm just really blown away by your story, and it, it's so good to hear because... It, like David said, all too often we see families fall apart and we see people crumble because they don't have that glue that holds them together, which is, you know, Christ. Blake, again, man, thanks for setting this up. And, um, you know, it's it's always fun for me when we can put these two things together. And I got to tell you, Sawyer, that's one heck of a bull elk. I mean, <laughs> that was an incredible, incredible bull. You should be proud of that. And it's just an amazing opportunity and that bull elk was definitely for you yeah absolutely thank you guys for coming on and um the verse that just hit me really hard was colossians i think it's 323 um work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the lord rather than for people and that's another point that i can go as far as why i don't want to guide an outfit professionally um you know i feel like doing this feels like you're more so working for the Lord rather than for people. 
Well, I can I can uh, support your thought, and you know, I I worked for an outfitter. Almost became a guide right yep. out of high school. I loved hunting. Right, and everybody around me is like, "Well, you like it so much. Why don't you go guiding?" And I'm like, "I, I saw you right out of high school. I, I didn't even graduate. I skipped prom. I headed off to trade school to get my guide's license in Montana. Right, I was in a six week pack course learning to be a guide. I had a job that summer, and I was working, and I was going to be an outfitter and a guide. I very quickly discovered that my love and passion of taking people out and enjoying nature was. 100% surrounded in being in, in God's creation and communing with him. It wasn't about harvesting the biggest thing that walked in, in on the face of the earth. The second you transition into hiring for money and being paid, and now it's a, it's a job, it's no longer service, and then there's a, you, you can never do good enough. The sunsets are never beautiful enough. The country isn't ever good enough. It's always, hey, I just... You get three types of clients, guys that are too old to really do it, guys that are too rich and just want to show off for their buddies, and very rarely, once in a blue moon, you'll get somebody that's saved their whole life, and everything's wonderful. The food's wonderful, the trip, <laughs> yeah. but, but that's that's the, the 99, you know, or normal, the 1% that you get occasionally is a guy that saved his whole life to come on an out west hunt. So I pretty quickly quit working for the outfitter, yep. quit guiding, didn't want to, you know, get my own license and I'll, I'll go help people. I'll even help an outfitter. I'd love to help out anybody. You know, Patrick and I got to go shoot a cow elk and that was, he, he mentioned it and I knew where the meat was going. It wasn't for Patrick and Patrick wanted to get that meat for a very good cause. And it was, it was an emotional trip, right? It because was. we gave credit where credit was due and that's to the creator. When you come out here in a few months, there's a guy in this studio that really wants to take you fishing. And so if you guys want to go on a, you know, a fun day of just getting out on the water, I'd love to take you. So hopefully you guys will allow me to do that. We would love that. That'd be awesome. Hopefully I'll yeah. actually be in town when you're here. Cause that's kind of the other important part. But uh, <laughs> as long as, and we'll figure it out either way. I told Blake already, you know, if, if I can't take you, we'll find somebody who can, but I think that'd be really cool. Get you guys out on the water a little bit. Cause Wyoming does have really good hunting, but it also has really good fishing. So I have to get you ex exposed to that a little bit too. Sounds great to me. Thank you. Yeah. So real quick, is there any closing thoughts or remarks you guys have for the podcast? This, this whole thing has just been unbelievable and we're just very blessed just to, to, to be able to go on a trip, but you know, even meeting you guys tonight and just being able to be on the podcast with you, it's such a blessing, you know, just being with like-minded people who are heading in the same direction, you know, uh, there's so much more in life, like you said, than hunting or fishing, uh, it's people and, and people's what matters. And, um, and we just want to say thank you to you guys, to each and every one of you. And um, you're just a blessing to us. Yeah, for me, I just want to say trust God. I was looking back at it not too long ago. I had a sheet of paper. I wrote down my goals. And it's all I wrote down. I said, I want to meet some really good people, have a good time, and kill the hill. I look back and it's like I told Blake, I mean, we got out there and I had high expectations. I really did. And all my expectations were exceeded in the first 20 minutes. It was like, if I didn't kill enough, I did not care one bit. It was just... It's unbelievable. It's, you know, met great people. Still have relationships with them, so we can hang out with them. It's just, it's different, you know. Like, just trust you out because you never know what's going to happen. And 
that's kind of helped me so much because I was like, you know what? I can't control it. The God can. Just let him be. Let him do his thing. I just can't put it into words. Like, it's just, it was a blessing with everything that Father's been through, everything we've been through. Like, we truly are are blessed, like blessed beyond belief. And like, I know God has a purpose for everything. And I am very thankful for that. I'm thankful for the experience we got to go to Wyoming. Like I said, it was a trip of a lifetime. And we're so excited to get to go back in uh, May and June and to bring our youngest son out there, our oldest son. I'm not sure if he's going to be able to come or not, but our youngest son is. And he, just from hearing the stories, he's so excited. He's so excited to meet Blake. And he's so excited to visit Wyoming. Um, and it just... And then when you put your tra- your trust and your faith in God and everything, He just works everything out according to His will, and and that's all that's all we could ever ask for. I come back to one verse all the time: is Matthew six thirty three, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then all these things will be added unto you. And um, God always puts us in the right place for the right people at the right time that we need in life. He's never He's never early and He's never late. He's always on time. He's continued to prove himself over and over and over again to us for this whole process. As Stacy said, uh, you know, being a pastor is not using hard for me with words, and I, and I struggle tonight because my heart's just so full. It's just hard to really explain what's within your heart. Sometimes we're just very thankful. I can say I'm very grateful and thankful that you guys came on this podcast and shared your story. I know David is and Blake. You're welcome anytime you know that <laughs> uh, it's kind of cool because you know david kind of lives the furthest west and then i'm kind of more in the middle and, and then blake out a little bit east of me but we all kind of live out in the same same part of the the country out here in the farmland and it's it's always good when we get together and it's always fun to get to talk about these hunts that blake does and and meet the meet the people and like i said when you get out here you let me know we'd love to get you out and I do want to say, you know, before we wrap this up, a big shout out to our sponsors. We couldn't do this show without High Mountain Seasonings. We couldn't do it without PK Lures, and we certainly couldn't do it without Bow Spider. I'm extremely grateful for the great sponsors that we have that I know will love this podcast as well. So any closing thoughts from you guys? I'm good. Thank you guys a bunch for coming on here. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thanks again for listening to the Radcast Outdoors podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed the show. If so, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast and subscribe, share, and give us a five-star rating, which really helps other people find the show. You can find all of our shows, recipes, giveaways, videos, and much more at radcastoutdoors.com. While you're there, please help support the show by purchasing a Radcast Outdoors shirt, or hat. Please don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We also have a Radcast community on Facebook called Radcast Nation, and we'd love for you to join in the conversation there. And of course, please help support our sponsors who make this show possible. Thank you again to PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Until next time, get out there and enjoy the outdoors.